Welcome to the SCOTUS Blog Podcast. I'm Jason Harrow. On today's episode, Tom has a conversation with Professor Charles Freed. Professor Freed is the Beneficial Professor of Law at Harvard Law School and is a former Solicitor General of the United States. He joined us on the phone to talk about his new book, Modern Liberty and the Limits of Government. Let's start from first principles, if we might. What is it that was your goal in writing the book? What is the task that the book undertakes? The task is, first of all, to give a sense of what these liberty claims are, what the underlying energy behind them is, and what the conception of uh, a person making a liberty claim has of himself and of the society which he interacts with. What is the, what is the picture of the world that I think is a correct picture of the world, uh, such as uh, to underlie and validate liberty claims. That's the biggest, the most uh, overarching uh, purpose. Uh, a different purpose and a more, one might call it a more parochial purpose, is to address claims which are uh, more and more current, uh, and in fact they're really treated as somehow canonical uh, in these uh, sociological, the po political science, and certainly the legal academy, uh, and that is that rights and liberty claims in the end boil down to uh, those lines and those values which society and therefore government chooses to define and to enforce. So that liberty is what's left uh, when government has yielded its claims upon us. And there's an awful lot of strength to that view, and in many respects it's correct. But it goes too far, and in the end I want to uh, argue for and give a give a sense why there is an aspect of liberty which does not depend on government or uh, legal definition or anything of that sort. There is a kind of liberty which judges government rather than being created and tolerated by it. I was struck by the way that I expected uh, a book from a esteemed Harvard Law professor in talking about liberty to really be 14th Amendment liberty. But this is an almost pre-constitutional philosophical sense of liberty that's also across governments and societies. It's not a uniquely American argument. It no, it's, it, it, it isn't at all. Uh, it is, uh, the claim is a universal claim and the context is a universal context. Well, not quite universal. I am putting it against the context of what I view as uh, 
familiar, decent, liberal democratic governments. Uh, I, I don't even get into the problem of uh, Cambodia or Iran or Iraq or or any of that. Those are extremes, and they provide contexts which uh, have more have greater problems than I'm interested in dealing with. I'm interested in dealing with the problems that citizens of countries like ours, but not necessarily just ours, confront. And and that's why two of my examples are not American examples, at, uh, are not United States examples at all. And I could have picked examples from France or UK or Sweden or whatever. Now, one of the interesting juxtapositions is between your book and Justice Breyer's book on active liberty. And you you had a, a fascinating uh, exchange with the justice. Is is it fair to say that Justice Breyer's conception of liberty is more process-based about how democracy will produce liberty, and your focus is on a fundamental norm that's inescapable, an element of individuality that's wholly independent of process, or is there yes, more in, in common? No, that's good. That's quite correct. Uh, with this caveat, uh, and, and this came out very much in our uh, discussions, he said, look, I'm not, my book isn't about that. My book is about constitutional law and how judges should interpret the Constitution. Uh, and from that perspective, it uh, might, in fact, be said to be completely compatible with everything I say. Uh, I think the tone and emphasis uh, is rather different uh, even allowing for that, and I think that's uh, the point of your question. Uh, he, he says that, oh yes, there is this individual liberty, and uh, the Constitution and the courts protect that too. That's not what I'm talking about now. I'm talking about uh, courts and the Constitution as it protects or, if you like, implements positive liberty, and that is indeed his subject. But what he has to be confronted with and does not, I think, sufficiently confront himself is that the constitutional project, uh, not only in the United States, but wherever there are written constitutions in uh, liberal democracies, is the project of drawing the line between the claims of government, between the claims of active government, and the liberty of the individual. And how you draw that line uh, cannot just be a matter of unspecified, vague balancing. And it won't do to simply say, well, you know, that's there too, and we've got to take it into account. I'm writing about how you take it into account, and to what extent, and why, uh, and where. I was struck in the book, at some points, it's actually deeply personal 
sometimes it's about what's going on in Quebec and somewhat more abstract and uses that as a, a tool for analyzing the problem of liberty. But at other points, it's, it's quite personal about your family. For example, in, in Chapter 7, you talk about your family seeing, quote, the dream of modern liberty twice turned into a nightmare along with some carpets, dishes, and my father's talent, we move the energy of that dream to America where liberty is not only as real as it had been in our homeland, but safe and strong. And I wondered what you thought that personal history brought to bear on the project and whether your personal experience, your family's experience, um, really gave you some insights into the value of liberty that those of us who've sort of always existed in this legal tradition and might not see the creeping threats to liberty uh, uh, aren't as conscious of? Uh, that's possible. I wanted to explain the energy of the book. And the book really is written for ordinary, thoughtful persons, not for specialists of any sort. And I think such a person, by the way, quite rightly, uh, is going to want to know where you're coming from. What, what is the energy? So that's one thing which I felt I owed the reader. Then, uh, and, and by the way, I owed the reader that in part because it might move him, it might convince him, but the reader might also uh, have a different view, saying, well, that just goes to show why he's overdoing it. Uh, the reader, she may want to discount what I say on that basis, but I think it's important to explain. But there's another point which you correctly touch on, and that is uh, we may perhaps be inclined to take these things more for granted because they are not and have never been threatened in a drastic degree, but only nibbled at at the edges. Uh, but a lot of people have seen them threatened in a drastic degree. And that's why uh, one wants to know, well, uh, what is at the end of the slippery slope? or at the bottom of the slippery slope. And, and is that a threat to your mind? Is, is the book in part a response to what you view as growing threats to liberty? Is there... Not, uh, actually, Tom, not particularly. I don't think that the kind of liberty I'm talking about is gravely threatened in this country. No. Uh, I think it is marginally threatened, and those threats ought to be resisted, and one ought to know why. Now, I suppose that the frame of mind which justifies those marginal threats as being justified because, after all, liberty is simply something that government grants us, uh, it may uh, portend a greater threat, an increasing threat in the future. I trust to people's instincts. I trust to the uh, fact that my instinct is not very different from that of my fellow citizens 
to assume that they're going to resist that. Uh, I'm giving them reasons why. I'm explaining why I would resist it, and I hope that I'm making contact with some instincts that they may have in an inchoate fashion. Well, fantastic. We really appreciate it. Uh, it was terrific of you to, to make the time to talk with us, and it's a terrific book. Thank you very much, Tom.